0: All right, before we look into God's Word together, let's bow our heads in prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for this opportunity through the, really the miracle of technology, the amazing things that Thou hast allowed men and women to come up with, to be able to meet in this way. Uh, when we think that this would not have been possible, perhaps even five years ago, but Thou and Thy grace and Thy goodness has allowed us this uh, this blessing that we can still feel connected through uh, the, this this amazing feat of technology and we're so thankful that we have this opportunity now to gather our hearts around thy word so many things in this world change and yet it is such a such a blessing to know that thy son jesus christ said here below that not one jot nor one tittle of thy word shall pass until all be fulfilled and so we can depend on it like a rock when so many things around us are being shaken we're so thankful that today is the lord's day the day where we remember that Thou, Lord Jesus, has risen from the dead and that we can lift up Thy name and glorify Thee, especially since today we recall that glorious resurrection morning. It's a comfort to our hearts to know that other other believers, uh, our own brothers and sisters in various places, are also meeting in this way right at this very moment, perhaps using similar technology to what we are using right now, to, to worship Thee, to lift up Thy name, and to declare to the world that he indeed is risen from the dead. What a blessing it is to know this. What a joy, what a comfort to our hearts, Heavenly Father, to know that we have a high priest in the heavenlies who is risen, who cares for us, who is yet the head of his people, his body here below. Be with us now as we would look into thy word. Help us to uh, gather our, our distracted thoughts and to consider the things that thou wouldst teach us from the from the pages of the same, we pray this in Jesus name, Amen. uh with the Lord's help this morning, I'd like to read um a couple passages of scripture, perhaps i can I'll share my screen here so you can follow along for those that are following at home. I'd like to read from John nineteen starting at verse thirty eight close to the end of the chapter john nineteen thirty eight reading into John 20. So I'll share my screen now if I can do that. Uh, Right here. Okay, so hopefully, is that visible for everyone?
1: Yes.
0: Okay, great. John 19, beginning at verse 38. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea... Being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him leave. He came, therefore, and took the body of Jesus. And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night, and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. Then took they the body of Jesus, and wound it in linen clothes with the spices, as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new sepulcher, wherein was never man yet laid. There laid they, Jesus, therefore, because of the Jews' preparation day, for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. The first day of the week Cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulchre, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulchre. Then she runneth, and cometh to Simon Peter, and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulchre, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth, and that other disciple, and came to the sepulchre. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter, and came first to the sepulchre. As he stood as and he stooping down, looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. then cometh Simon Peter, following him, and went into the sepulchre, and seeth the linen clothes lie, and the napkin that was about his head not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. then went in also that other disciple which came first to the sepulchre, and he saw. And believed. For as yet they knew not the Scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. But Mary stood without at the sepulchre weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulchre, and seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head, and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back, and saw Jesus standing, and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, If thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him again. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself, and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren, and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things unto her. Then the same day, at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. I've read until verse 19 of John, the 20th chapter. Let me just... <clears throat> As I read again the account in John's gospel of the resurrection of, of our Lord Jesus, there were some things that stood out to me um and i'd like to share them with you the danger with scripture that we know well is we bring our knowledge of the end of the story to the reading of it and so sometimes we lose the immediacy of of the narrative we we because we know what's going to happen already certain things slip by Um, And they don't get the weight or the importance that they really deserve. And we may miss things as a result of that. These events played out over a number of days. But in our Bible, it goes right almost from the death of Christ, almost straight to his resurrection. And so we forget what it must have been like for those disciples of the Lord to have to suffer through those agonizing days when their entire world was turned upside down I'm thankful that these accounts are, are given to us and if we compare scripture with scripture if we if we put together pieces from other places in scripture there's more color given to each narrative. And I began reading with the account immediately after the crucifixion where Joseph of Arimathea, who was a counselor, it seems to be that he was maybe perhaps one of the Sanhedrin, one of the Council of 70 elders of Israel, who was a disciple of Jesus, it says, but secretly for fear of the Jews, he besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. Now you remember when the Pharisees and the chief priests, uh, chief priest and probably his father-in-law as well, um, came to Pilate to accuse Jesus, they wouldn't even go in because they didn't want to defile themselves lest that they would be forbidden from partaking of the Passover. Joseph of Arimathea had no concerns. He went in directly to Pilate. Now, I want us to think about something for a moment. In this, what did Joseph of Arimathea and later we read about Nicodemus? What did they have to gain from giving the body of Jesus a proper burial? He had just died; his disciples were scattered. It seemed like the the scheming of the high priest and his and their um, minions had succeeded. It could be expected that what they did to the Master, they would also do to the disciples. That the disciples could shortly expect also to be persecuted now that their leader was dead. The truth is, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus could gain absolutely nothing by this act. In fact, they only had loss as a result. They would be forbidden from partaking of the Passover because they were unclean. Not only had Joseph of Arimathea gone in to Pilate to the Gentiles uh, as it were but also Nicodemus and Joseph both, they didn't even trust servants to do this task. They both handled the bloody and broken body of Jesus automatically defiling them themselves. Touching a dead body was forbidden under the law. And there, well, not forbidden, but there was, there was a cleansing ritual that had to go along with it. And there was a period of uncleanness. Joseph gave up his own tomb that had never been used. I don't know what it was like to chisel a tomb out of solid rock in those days with hand tools, not even really hardened, tempered steel. But it must have required a lot of work and expense to prepare that tomb for himself. And he gave it freely to Jesus Christ. Even though Jesus, it seemed at the time, could do nothing for him. Nicodemus, I'm convinced, is given a bad rap by those in Christianity. They like to point out to the fact that Jesus, that Nicodemus came by night to talk to Christ. And perhaps that was the only time to have a private conversation with him. We don't totally know and so it's dangerous to make inferences where Scripture is silent. It tells us that Joseph of Arimathea was a secret disciple of Jesus for fear of the Jews, but it doesn't necessarily mention that about Nicodemus. In fact, Nicodemus spoke up when Gamaliel uh, said his piece before the council as well. But Nicodemus does not hesitate now. He realized that this man, at the very least, was a prophet of God, come with a special message from God. He acknowledged that when he met Christ alive before. And now it seems that this testimony was confirmed in him. And so he also threw in his lot with this dead, wandering rabbi. The expenses, a hundred pounds of valuable spices. Spices are among the most precious commodity that we know of, by weight, anyway. Um, if you'd like to, take a look online at what the price of the spice saffron costs by weight. It's more valuable than gold. A hundred pounds of the stuff must have cost Joseph of Arimathea a lot of money. He had nothing to gain. But he recognized Christ as someone special, someone deserving of the type of burial that they gave him, a proper Jewish burial. His own family and his disciples were not involved. And yet, these two men are recorded here for us. We go on into chapter 20 to read about Mary Magdalene, the one who had had seven devils cast out of her, the one who anointed the feet of Jesus at that dinner with the precious ointment, the one who Jesus said loved much. And here we see her also. In the other Gospels, we read that she wasn't alone. And it's interesting to note, even in John, she says, we know not where they have laid him. So there were other women there with him. It's interesting to see that the women had more courage than the men. When it came to these things, they were the ones that stepped up. They waited for the first opportunity to be able to go and give the Lord a proper burial. Perhaps they didn't have the resources of Joseph and had not prepared those things. They didn't realize that Joseph had perhaps beaten them to it, to giving Jesus a proper burial. It says they took spices and they went early in the morning. It says specifically, when it was yet dark, the first opportunity, and they saw the stone rolled away. What must have gone through their minds? Tomb robbers? Who would do this? The Pharisees? The chief priest? The Romans? Who? Who? They didn't know, and so what they, they what they did was to hurry back to the disciples and to tell them what they had seen. And so the account records that Peter and John, two of the inner circle of three that went with Jesus everywhere, left their home for the sepulcher. They ran. It tells us that John outrun, outran Peter, but Peter, as his character was, was the one that went in first. Peter didn't hesitate. He was uh, he was an impetuous man, often saying things that maybe he later regretted. But here he didn't hesitate. He went in, even though John got there first. And when they got inside, they saw something else that shocked them. They saw the linen clothes lying by themselves. What was going on here? If it had been tomb robbers, no one would have stopped to un- unwrap a bloody body. And certainly not to fold up the headcloth by itself. They must have been shocked by what they saw and could not understand it. They just simply looked it all over. And the commentary from John, who wrote this account, says, Then went in also the, uh, that other disciple, who we understand as John, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. Well, what did he believe? Did he believe that Jesus was resurrected from the dead? No, because the next verse says, For as yet they knew not the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. He just simply believed the words of the women that had said his, he's not there. The next verse is a sad one. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. They did not look any further. They saw what they believed was there to see. They had considered all the evidence and walked away. But Mary stayed. Mary stayed. And here we see a fulfillment of Christ's words on the Sermon of the Mount. But Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher. Blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those that mourn and take those tears to Jesus. There's comfort there. There's comfort there for those that are willing to wait. The disciples, Peter and John, they thought they had seen everything. And so they probably went back to tell the rest what they had seen, to confirm what the women had had, uh, told them. I remember reading somewhere, I don't know if it's 100% true, but it it very well could be, that the testimony of a woman only counted for uh, half a testimony. So when the scripture says two witnesses, what was implied there was two men to witness. If it was women, it required more. And so it seems the disciples didn't totally... Maybe believe what the women had seen. Maybe they thought in their overwrought uh, emotional state, maybe they went to the wrong tomb. Maybe they were looking in the wrong place. Maybe they saw some funny shadow and thought that the stone was rolled away, and so they had to go see it for themselves. And having seen what they thought was there to see for themselves, they left. But Mary waited. She didn't know where else to go. Peter told Jesus, where shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. But Mary was the one who really believed that. She could not go anywhere else until she knew what had happened to her Lord. And so she waited there. She didn't know what else to do. And then it says something interesting. It says two angels were sitting in there. One at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. I don't know what an angel looks like. I've never seen one. We only read here that from the account that they were angels. I don't know if they were glowing or looked different than the average person, but they asked they asked Mary the question, "Woman, why weepest thou?" Kind of an odd question. I would have thought the first question would have been for Mary. What are you doing in a tomb? She doesn't even ask them that. She's so focused on her Lord that the only question that comes to her mind is, because they have taken away my Lord and I know not where they have laid him. And then, She turns around and she sees Jesus, but she doesn't know that it's Jesus. Perhaps in the dim light of the early morning, her eyes blinded by tears, she couldn't see clearly. But Jesus asks the same question that the angels did. Woman, woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? And she says, Sir, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. I don't know what size of a woman Mary Magdalene was, nor what size of a man Jesus was, but it seems unlikely to me that a woman, especially one in her state, would be capable of picking up the body of a full-grown man presumably stiffened by rigor mortis at this point, and carry him any length of distance. But so fervent was her love for Jesus and for what he had done for her that she would have tried anyway. Then Jesus says that single word, Mary. 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 When Jesus calls your name, you have to respond. For those that have heard him call their name and responded, it represents a change in everything. Mary knew immediately who she was dealing with. The same one who had spoken so tenderly to her in the past was offering her comfort now, and she called him simply Master. Rabboni means teacher as well, the the term of endearment for 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 uh, uh, for this this man of God. Not perhaps fully yet understanding who he he was. Jesus says to her, "Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father." Now you may be confused by that word. Touch me not. In other places, Jesus said, Here, touch me. Feel my hands and my side. And be not faithless, but believing. He said that to Thomas. Here he says, Touch me not. It seems that, from what I understand, in the Greek, this touch means to cling to. Um, And Jesus was telling her she had a job to do. She needed to take this news back to the disciples. She needed to carry this hope that she had seen back to the disciples. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things unto her. In another gospel it says, and they still didn't believe. They believed that the body was no longer there, but they didn't believe Mary. Even among Christians, where we say faith is prized, often often our faith is subpar, below what it should be. We don't believe that God can do what he says he can do. And I wonder how many of us would have said along with Thomas, unless I see and, and touch his hands, I won't believe. we what is at the root of that lack of faith why why do we react that way because i think we can all identify with thomas i can someone else's word is never quite good enough i see it with my children sometimes someone says they've seen something and the other children don't believe them until they've seen it themselves. And really, we're not all that different than children sometimes either. Uh, we, we really only trust ourselves, don't we? I think that that is something we're, we're all really secretly quite familiar with, that someone else's word is never quite good enough until we see it ourselves and I guess at the root of all of that is probably some form of self-centeredness, some form of pride that says, your eyes are not as good as my eyes, your experiences are not as good as mine, and unless I see and experience the same things that you do, I don't believe it. Do we believe that God can do what he says he can? Our own lack of faith often stands In the way of seeing what he can do. Then, the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. When we put together the full account, we realize something. The stone in front of the tomb was not rolled away to allow Jesus to get out. He had no need for that stone to be rolled away. In his resurrected form, physical barriers were not, an, uh, not a problem for him. Here we read the doors were all shut and Jesus simply appears in the midst of them um, with no indication of his, of his form of entrance into that room. The stone was rolled away for you and I. The stone was rolled away that the world would be able to look in and see an empty tomb. Now, to conclude, I'd like to read one more portion of Scripture, and it's found in Revelation, the fifth chapter. Uh, Let me see if I can pull it up for you as well. Just bear with me for a second here. Revelation, chapter 5, verse 1. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne, and that's God the Father, a book written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither neither. To look thereon. And I wept much, because no, fa- no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book, and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, The four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. I'd like to read the last few verses here to verse 12. <clears throat> and I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times ten thousand, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain, to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Why was it necessary for the world to see into an empty tomb? Here we have a picture from Revelation. Admittedly, a difficult book to understand, not one that I pr- profess to fully understand. But I see certain things in there that when I look back at some of the scriptures that I can understand a little bit better, I, I see echoes and I see uh, um, explanations for why things are the way they are. This lion of the tribe of Judah was also called a lamb. This book that God had in his right hand, I don't know exactly what that book is, but I do know it is divine in nature because no one other than the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Lamb, God's Son, was able to take the book or even look at it. This book required someone who was divine to take it. Some people have said it's the hidden counsels of God. Some people have called it the title deed of the universe. They could both be right. I'm not here to give you a a full uh, explanation of that. But I want you to notice what it says about this lamb. And it says it multiple times. It says, the lamb as it had been slain. And again, when... uh, when they, they praise this Lamb, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for Thou wast slain. And then again, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Why is that important? For the skeptic out there, why is it important that the tomb is open? I want you to think now, if there is order in the universe, if there is a reason for things being, how would you expect that to be communicated to you? Yes, you could see order in the creation, and certainly scientists have found that. You could see order, uh, even our desire to create order out of chaos, as being a sign of that. But the only way, really, to be able to understand what all this is about is if the man who made, or the one who made it himself, the God of the universe, would somehow try to communicate to us in a way that we would understand why things are the way they are the explanation, the meaning of life, the meaning of existence. And so logically, that communication would have to come from the God who made all of it. And it did. He sent his son to give us that message. Divinity had to take on humanity to explain divinity to humanity. And then the final proof the final proof that what Christ said was true would have to be demonstrated in some way that would be irrefutable. I can think of nothing else that would be as suitable for that purpose as one who is acknowledged to be dead returns to life. Science can do many things. But it cannot take someone who has been dead and bring them back to life. Within the first few moments of of a, of a heart stopping, it's possible to restart a heart. Medical science can do a lot, but you can't give medical science a three day old corpse and have it bring and bring and have it bring back bring that corpse back to life. That is impossible. That would require divinity. But is that really so hard for the one who began life in the first place? Wouldn't this be the perfect way for the divine to communicate to humanity that the words of God's special messenger, who was in fact God come in the flesh, Jesus Christ, were true, By allowing him to die and returning him again to life. And then opening the tomb that anyone could look in. I can think of no other way. It's so perfect. What other sign could be given? We all understand the finality of death. We see bodies piling up in places like New York City, and, and it's, it's a grim reminder to all of us that we all must one day die. What else could God have done? What other sign could he have given that would have given Christ's words the proper weight? I can't think of any. One who was dead, made alive again. Proven for all to see, the soldier thrust the spear up into the side of the body hanging on the cross, and out came blood and water. That's a whole nother sermon in and of itself. But, sufficient to say that there was all the proof anyone would have needed that Christ was indeed dead. It's interesting to note that the Pharisees never even tried to claim that Jesus was not dead in the first place. Do you realize that? Their, their alibi for why the body was missing was simply that the, that the disciples came and stole it. But they never once tried to use the modern line that Jesus did not actually die in the first place. That he went into some form of a swoon and then was brought back to consciousness. I find that interesting. But the truth is, faith is what God requires. Faith is the thing that pleases him. I'm sorry if you don't like that, but you'll have to take it up with Him. He is the one who expects us to believe in what He has done. The ones who are given the task of preaching and teaching were only the messengers. For us, the message was sufficient and we're passing it on. If you have a problem with faith, you need to ask yourself, what else could God have done? may the lord add whatever was lacking to what was said amen i don't know if uh, brother Doug or brother edmund wants to take over from here or if we're going to have a, uh, a a hymn and then a prayer sorry i'm i'm not i'm still not 100% sure of the format
2: thank you brother phil for the message that we heard this morning um, we can have a hymn, did you have one, did you have one prepared or did someone else have a song prepared?
0: I, I didn't have one selected so if uh, someone would like to suggest a hymn, either via the chat or unmute.
3: There's a song, I believe it's uh, 124 in Zion's O Risen Lord,
1: mm-hmm.
3: I think it's 124 from memory.
0: That's correct, 124.
2: Maybe we can sing that one. Let's sing um, the first three in the last verse. Verses one, two, three, and eight of 124.
1: Lord, now let this day holy unto us we pray, for on it thou hast left the so In the hymns we sing, your only love from Thee can keep us pure. Like the pure, mild in heart. So, um,
3: is Brother Mark Dumrowski, are You, I think you're online. Can you lead us in prayer? Yes. Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that, despite different barriers physical barriers that try to keep us apart from each other Lord, we are able to gather together we're able to hear your message and to experience this joyous occasion that our lord and savior has risen on this day he has risen as a symbol not only a symbol but also that he has, has overcome death. And Lord, we thank you that we are reminded on this day of what you have done for us, what you have done for all of mankind. Lord, we pray that not just on this day we would remember what you have done but every day that we live our lives, we would always remember that the ultimate sacrifice was made that that sacrificial lamb the perfect sacrificial lamb was there so that we could have salvation and that was given because God's love for us we pray that in the remainder of this day we would fellowship with our families and spend time with one another and that you would be with us and help us to get through this pandemic, Lord. Once again, we are thankful to hear your words and to learn from it and to grow from it. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.
2: amen. Um,
3: perhaps we can have um, Brother Edmund. Did you want to give a little um, closing? And um, after that, we'll ask Brother Brian to take the greetings.
2: Okay. Um, this morning as I was uh, thinking about um, the locked doors that we heard this morning the disciples, they had the the evidence already in front of them they they had actually seen the empty tomb and yet they still didn't believe, they had the testimony of the woman they didn't believe and Hiding behind locked doors. And I had to think of many people today who, um, of course, are shut in physically, but we've had evidence now for 2,000 years. We may have heard it Sunday in, Sunday out, and year after year, and yet our hearts are locked. And I just pray that this morning very Savior who came back from death to life, who, who um, defeated sin and death and Satan, that he could walk not only through the physical doors of those who were isolated and alone, but through the locked doors of their heart. They, they would, Although we know that that's not how he operates. The doors of the heart, he stands outside and he knocks as we read in revelations three and he waits for us to open that door to invite him in to have that sweet fellowship so i just pray that this easter we all would unlock those doors in wooden social distance and keep away the lord of the universe and that we would finally i, I see all of creation just rejoicing and I-, I see in that question mary why weepest thou all of creation has been waiting for thousands of years to be liberated from the curse and to see God resurrected and death defeated and 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 the creation and the angels are incredulous that we sit there still afraid, still scared, still hiding. And they're just waiting for us to open our eyes and hearts and faith to accept the thing that has already victory that has already been accomplished. And Jesus rose from the dead. I guess with that we'd uh, conclude the service, and uh, people want to hang around in fellowship, they're free to do so.